Whoa. 
one of them, Arise My Soul, Arise, is uh, probably my second favorite song. And if Luke was paying attention a few weeks ago, he would have caught on that I said, we need to sing all five verses together. You can't sing this song with just one, two, or three. It's all one long message. But arise, my soul, arise, and shake off thy guilty fears. This is all a salvation song is what this is. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins, to pay for our guiltiness before God. He is the sacrifice, that bleeding sacrifice. And it is he who stands before the throne of God who is my surety. He has paid the penalty. He stands there um, and guarantees my salvation before God's throne. Verse 2, he ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for all our race, his blood atoned for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Jesus Christ stands before God's throne to intercede and because of that, my salvation is not not dependent on me keeping it. I can't lose it. Jesus Christ paid for it. It is all him and he intercedes before the throne of God for for my sake. Verse three, five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me, forgive him, oh forgive they cry, forgive him, oh forgive they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. We think of Jesus Christ on the cross, his wounds in his hands and his feet and in his side, five wounds that he bore, and he bore those for me, and he pleads that God would forgive our sins on the basis of his death on the cross. The Father hears him pray. His dear anointed one, he cannot turn away the presence of his son. His spirit answers to the blood. His spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. By the the faith in Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven and I stand secure in my relationship with him. Never to be condemned again. Romans 8 verse, verse 1, there's now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, I now am reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child, I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh, with confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. Because of everything that Jesus Christ has done for us, we can draw nigh to to God in confidence. Without fear of being cast out, or being condemned, or cast away. Because Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, past, present, and future. Go ahead and dismiss the kids ages four years old through fourth grade. And while they're heading out, go and open your Bibles to Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16. I am trying something new with the message this morning and tonight. Um, I'm not guaranteeing I'm always going to do this, but I needed to show the slides for the messages this morning and tonight. There's a reason it's up there. So Acts chapter number 16, as we work our way through the book of Acts... We just talked about Timothy and how God called Timothy to minister alongside of Paul on his second missionary journey. And now we are in verse number six. They set out to travel to the next location. It says in verse number six, Acts 16, verse six. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia by the Spirit, but the Spirit suffered them not. 
And they passing by Messia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. There are a lot of decisions that we need to make on a day-to-day basis. Am I going to eat Fruit Loops or uh, Wheat Thins today? Okay, or not Wheat Thins. You don't eat Wheat Thins for breakfast, do you? What do you call them? Wheaties. There you go. Okay, so am I going, am I going to go to work or am I going to stay in bed? Am I, am I going to um, play with my kids or am I going to watch TV? We have all kinds of decisions that we need to make throughout the day, and they aren't always easy decisions, especially when you're, when you're a kid or a teenager growing up. You face some of your most important decisions pretty early on in life. And honestly, you're probably not prepared to make those decisions at the age that you're at. We make decisions when you're 18 years old, where am I going to go to college? Well, that decision impacts the rest of your life, right? What's going to be my career? Who am I going to marry, right? Where am I going to live? All of these decisions, they're very important decisions that we need to make. And, <clears throat> and oftentimes, we can be left questioning. Well, what, what am I supposed to do? What is God's will for my life. And this, this message is not intended to be an overall message on how to determine God's life. I want to narrowly focus in on one aspect of that. But we often say that there are six pointers to finding out the will of God that the Holy Spirit uses to direct us to find God's will. We'll see if this thing works over here. It's not. <laughs> so, Matt, you want to reconnect that for me? Six pointers to determining the will of God. Did it do it? did all of them at once though okay oh, wow <laughs> so it's in there in the computer you flipped it okay we'll do that okay this is not how the slides are supposed to go but these are the six pointers to the will of god the first one is the word of god the bible tells us what to do and what not to do right bible tells us thou shalt not commit adultery is that god's will for our life yeah it's clear obvious don't do this right other times we're told to do some things Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're told to do something in the word of God. Also, we can determine God's will by prayer, asking God to show us what his will is, or by seeking counsel. Proverbs says, in the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. Circumstances can lead us to determine God's will for our lives. And then wisdom. We need to make wise choices. Where's that wisdom found? Most of the time it's found in God's word. And then you've got the peace of God. Now I look at the peace of God as a confirmation rather than a direct sign, this is his will. Because oftentimes we confuse our emotions with the peace of God. So after I've determined God's will, I look for the peace of God to confirm God's will for my life. However, some decisions aren't as clear as opening your Bible and finding a verse that tells you what to do, right? God's word isn't going to tell you whether you should live in North Carolina or North Dakota, is it? Okay? Some people try to do that. They flip their Bible open and they find an, a verse that says, and Abraham went up to, or something like that, and they say, oh, God's will for my life. I'm going to go to North Dakota because it's up. 
That's twisting scripture out of context. That's not how God intended it to be. God's word tells us what it tells us, and it doesn't tell us what it doesn't tell us. Okay, It doesn't directly tell you North Carolina or North Dakota. Don't twist it. Prayer is oftentimes actually just the seeking God to tell us in some other way what his will is, right? And then uh, counsel. Counsel helps us have wisdom to make the choice. But counselors, can they be wrong? Yeah, sometimes they can be wrong. Peace of God confirms it, but we don't want to confuse that with our emotions. But in the end, we take all of these pointers together, not in isolation, in determining God's will for our lives. But today we're going to focus on, on one main element of determining God's will for our lives, and that is the leading of the Holy Spirit. All of these pointers, these are all ways that the Holy Spirit helps and direct our lives into his will. In Acts 16, verse number 6, uh, our beginning verse here, Paul had completed visiting the churches from his first missionary journey, and he wants to know where to go next. That's basically where we're at. He's visited, at, if you remember the first missionary journey, he went to Cyprus, right? And then he went to a couple of the towns in southern Galatia. He's already hit all of those towns. He's already visited all of them, and he wants to know where to go next. So what we want to look at today is how God directed Paul on his second missionary journey. The first point we're going to look at, verses 6 through 8, is Paul was not clear on all of the details of his ministry before starting out to do something, okay? He didn't have answers right at the beginning. Sometimes in, in life, we, uh, we, get, we, we freeze up and we don't do anything for God because we feel like we have to have all the details before we even get started. At this part, part, point in Paul's life, we see him making multiple attempts to do something for God. And he wants to spread the gospel to new regions of the world. Later on in Romans 15, verse 20, Paul would write, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Paul wanted to preach the gospel where other people had not been. This was his desire. It was God's will for his. And so he kept on trying. He just tries something. In fact, in this text, Paul is trying to break out into these new regions, so he tries to go to new places. In verse number 6, it says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and southern Galatia, which is, if you can see my little pointer right there, Phrygia is right around in this area where Thyatira is, okay? Right in the middle. Thyatira and Galatia there. And so he's gone throughout all that, all that region, and he wants to go down into... Asia, the southwestern section. And what does the next verse say? Or the next phrase say? He was forbidden of the Holy Ghost. So he tries something, and what happens? God says, no, you're not going there. The Holy Ghost forbids him to go into the southwestern part of Asia there. And then in verse 7, it says, after, after they were come to Mycenae, they essayed to go into Bithynia. Now, Bithynia is right up along this northern coast over here, okay? That's Bithynia. So he's tried going southwest, that's a no. He tries going north, and that is a no. And God is telling him no, and it feels like he has nowhere else to go. I mean, because where else could he go from here? He could go into the ocean, right? So he's tried going south, he's tried going north, he's not going to go back where he's already been. And God keeps telling him no. The Spirit suffered them not in verse number 7. And so he comes... And he goes to Troas, which is right here on the coast, right there. OK? 
okay? And so sometimes I think we become so paralyzed with determining God's will that we never even try to do anything. We don't even set out to do what we know is God's will already. Um, Pastor Carstens, you could, you could empathize with this. Anybody who graduated from Ambassador, you can empathize with this. How many graduates of Ambassador Baptist College or Bob Jones University still live in Greenville and Shelby, North Carolina? Was that a whole bunch of them, okay? And why are they still living there? A lot of the times, their answer at the beginning was, I'm waiting for God to tell me where to go. And so they ended up spending the rest of their existence in Greenville and Shelby, North Carolina, because they were waiting around for something to do. I don't think that's how God works. God isn't wanting you to just sit back passively and do nothing your entire life. In fact, Genesis 24, verse 27, when uh, Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, okay, and, uh, and he comes across Rebekah, the servant says this in Genesis 24, 27, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. Here's a key phrase. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Okay, like I said, a lot of times we become paralyzed trying to figure out what is God's will for my life, that we don't do anything. Let me use an illustration here, okay? Imagine you want to go to the grocery store. So you, sit, you go out into the parking lot, and you sit behind the steering wheel of your car, but you never turn the ignition on, you never get the, gar, the car out of the parking lot, and you never drive anywhere. You're just sitting there waiting, okay? Is the car going to ever make it to the grocery store? No. If you want to steer that car, what do you have to do? You got to get it moving, doing something, right? You got to back it out of the parking lot. You got to start driving it. And then it can be directed, right? If we want our lives to be directed by God, we need to be getting out of the parking lot and start moving. Start doing what he has already told us to do and allow God to direct our lives. We've got to get in motion. God has already given us so many commands in life, right? So many directions in his word. And to be honest, I don't think any of us are obeying all of them, right? We're not, we're not already obeying the revealed will of God for our lives. Otherwise, we'd be perfect, okay? God, is, God revealed in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, his desire is that we would go and preach the gospel. He says, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So what is God's will? To get the gospel to all the earth, right? Paul is just setting about doing what he already knows is God's will. He's trying to get the gospel. Nope, wrong way. Trying to get the gospel here. He's trying to get the gospel here. He's trying to go into all these different regions, right? And God is directing him. He directs him by saying no, right? So according to the text, he tries to go southwest, then he tries to go north. But one of the ways that God directed Paul was by closing down doors of opportunity. Paul tried to go somewhere, and what did God say? No. He closed a door. And so some, sometimes the Spirit directs or it works in our lives to show us where to go by saying, telling us, no, that's not where I want you to go. We don't know how the Spirit forbade him. Some people believe that uh, Paul got sick and he couldn't go. I don't, the text doesn't say. The word uh, forbade, here in verse number 6, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 7, it says, the Spirit suffered them not. Both of those words merely just mean allow. The Holy Spirit didn't allow them to go into these regions. 
Do you think God didn't want the gospel in Bithynia or in Southwest Asia? No, God wanted the gospel there, but he didn't want Paul there, okay? So maybe opportunities fell through. Maybe it was just the, whole, the nudging of the Holy Spirit to say, no, I don't want you there. But we know that Paul was all about open and closed doors. Just consider a couple of these verses. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, it says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Paul was concerned that God would open and God would close doors. He wasn't going to make things happen that weren't God's will. He was going to try. He was going to go a direction. But if God said no, he wasn't going to stand there beating on the door until it opened up. If God closed the door, he was going to go somewhere else. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, it says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me. Jesus also spoke about doors. In Revelations 3, verses uh, 7 through 8, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. That verse there teaches that when God opens a door, nobody can shut that door on you. Nobody's going to take away your opportunity to serve God if God has said, this is my will for your life and this is the door I have opened for you. But also on the flip side, if he shuts the door, there's nothing you can do to re get open back up again. If God shuts it, it is shut and it is permanently shut. Now, when I, when I started thinking about this idea of the spirit opening doors and closing doors, um, I've been meditating on the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And I know we talk about things like walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. And most of my life, I have never been told, well, how do you do that? How do you walk with the Spirit? Or how do you become filled with the Spirit? Because honestly, if we're ever going to be led by the Spirit in this way, where God can close doors and open doors, we've got to understand those concepts. So as I've been meditating on it, process. I've come up with some definitions for these terms. They're my definitions. Disagree with them if you want to, but I'm just going to teach you what God is revealing to me about this topic, how God is teaching me on what it means to walk in the Spirit, what it means to be filled with the Spirit, and to be empowered by the Spirit, because if we're ever going to find God's will, we need to have this understanding, okay? So when we talk about walking in the Spirit, I've defined it as being in such a relationship with God that when the Spirit tells you you are to do something, you obey and are empowered by the Spirit to do His will. There are three elements to that. Being in such a relationship with God. What, why, why do I put that word in there? If you want the Holy Spirit to direct your life, you have to be in communion with Him. You have to be in His Word and you have to be in prayer, but not in a legalistic sort of way. You have to be in communion, relationship with him. You will not be directed just because you opened your Bible once a day and read it. You must have communion with God, relationship with him. And that means you got to be saved first of all, right? If you do not know Jesus Christ as your savior, you can't even hope to have God direct you in life. But for the believer, you need to be in communion with him, in a relationship with him where you delight in him, where you are seeking after him. 
So the first part of walking in the Spirit is being in relationship. But the second part here is when the Spirit tells you to do something, what do you do? You obey. You do what he tells you to do. Walking is the Holy Spirit gives you step-by-step instructions. Go here. Is he going to tell you to go somewhere if you're not even going to be willing to listen to what he's already told you to do? No. If you want to walk in the Spirit, you obey what he tells you to do. When the Spirit reveals something in his word, what, you, you choose to obey what the word says. If the Holy Spirit puts, on, puts it on your heart to go witness to somebody, if you're walking in the Spirit, you go witness to that person. If you don't, you're not walking in the Spirit because you've just chosen not to disobey him. Okay? Step by step, choosing to obey the Spirit as he directs you. Okay? And then as you do so, you are empowered by the Spirit to do his will. And we'll talk about what it means to be empowered by the Spirit to do his will. But walking in the Spirit is being in a relationship where he can tell you what to do. And, and you will obey Okay, that's key. Second thing, being filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Surrendering every area of your life to the Holy Ghost. You walk in the Spirit, but you need to walk in the Spirit in every area of your life if you are going to be filled with the Spirit. The question isn't how much of the Spirit do you have, but how much of you does the Spirit have control of in your life? Can the Spirit dictate how you should live your marriage out? Can the Spirit dictate your entertainment choices? Can the Spirit dictate what you wear and what you don't wear? If there is an area of your life where you are saying, no, I will not obey, I won't listen to the Holy Spirit, you are not filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is giving him control and access to every aspect of your life. And then being empowered by the Spirit. This one has been eye-opening for me because I think a lot of times when we think of the Holy Spirit empowering us, we think we're going to get zapped with magic juice, right? Okay, And poof, I'm going to have this, this super Hulk Hogan strength, and I'm going to be able to do great things for God because God has zapped me with strength, and he's overcome my will to make me do what he wants me to do, right? I believe empowering of the Spirit, actually, when it comes down to it, is God gives you the excitement or desire to do his will. He puts within your heart a desire to do what he has said he wants you to do. And then he gives you the ability to do his will in the moment that you do it, okay? The verse that, I, that, I'm, that I'm drawing this from, I believe is Philippians, uh, says that he, um, that is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God empowers you not by overriding your will, but he empowers you by getting you, giving you desires to do his will, by exciting you about the opportunities to do his will. And then when you step up and actually do it, you have the ability to do it. One of the most often used excuses for not soul winning is people say, I'm not good with talking to people. Well, you know what? You won't be, ever be good at talking to people until you step up and you actually decide, I'm going to obey what God says. And in the moment, he gives you the ability to do so. At that moment. That's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Look at Act, in, in the book of Acts. We trace whenever the Holy Spirit was filling them, they were filled with boldness to proclaim the word of God. So God empowers us by giving us a heart and a desire for his will and then giving us the ability to do it in the moment that we need to do it. Now, let's tie this back into Acts chapter number 16 here, okay? So Paul wants to know what to do. He wants to know where to go in his life. 
The answer for Paul is walking in the Spirit. The Spirit has control of every area of his life. So when the Spirit says, don't go here, what does Paul do? He doesn't go. When the Spirit says, go here, where does, what does Paul do? He goes there. Okay? And that, that's the key behind this text here. So the Holy Spirit forbids him to go into Southwest Asia and into Bithynia up in the north. Paul was open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when God said no, he obeyed. Second point we're going to look at here is when God made things clear to Paul, what did Paul do? He obeyed immediately. Verses 9 and 10. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Okay, so Paul is sleeping and he has this vision. This vision of a man in Macedonia. We don't know who this man was. It doesn't even matter who this man was. But a man of Macedonia stands in his, in his dream and prays him, asks him, begs him, come over into Macedonia and help us. Come give us help. I could imagine by this point, Paul is in Troas. He's feeling a little bit frustrated, maybe even a little boxed in, right? He can't go north. He can't go south. He can't go uh, west. He's boxed in. <clears throat> so he tries to go every direction he could, but the Lord keeps saying no. And he ends up in Troas, which is a seaport on the ocean. He doesn't know where he's going to go. And God gives him this vision. And in Macedonia saying, come and help us. So Troas was a seaport that led to Europe. In fact, even today, that part of the world is called the gateway to Europe from Asia. Paul is in a place where God is now going to launch him into a ministry that nobody else has had. The gospel has not gone to Europe at this time. So God is preparing to move Paul into a whole new area of ministry and open up the rest of the world for the gospel. So him saying no to this and saying no to this, that has all been God's path to get him where he needed to be in Troas, where God could show him his new ministry going into Europe. The gospel would not, ha would not have had the same impact on the world today if Paul had not been in Troas that day. If Paul had gone to Bithynia, Christianity probably would have gone to Asia and Europe would not have received it like it did because of Paul. If Paul had gone to South, Southwestern Asia, it would have gone into like Thailand and India and places like that and the rest of Turkey or even Russia, but it wouldn't have had the same impact that Paul was able to have because he went to Europe. So in Troas, Paul has a vision of this Macedonian man who says, come over and help us. And Paul takes that vision as direct guidance from God. In verse 10, what was his response? And after he had seen the vision, what's the next word? Immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, surely gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Paul obeyed. When the Holy Spirit led him and gave him a positive answer, he obeyed immediately. When God makes something clear to us, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we should have the heart that doesn't fight against it, doesn't delay it in obeying it. But so many of us, we have visions of our own for our own lives. Instead of a Macedonian vision, we have our own visions. Our visions maybe are a nice, car, a nice house. Okay, I'd love to have a nice house, two-story farmhouse in the middle of five, ten acres somewhere out there that I'll never be able to afford the rest of my life. Okay, so that, that would be a nice vision to have, right? 
or a beautiful wife, you single guys, okay? <clears throat> or a nice car, a Bugatti or something like that. A good job that pays lots of money, gets you a lot of prestige, lots of money in general, okay? Or having fun. And then I threw this one in here, playing video games, because our culture is so obsessed with this that they derive their whole joy, their whole fulfillment in life. It's being able to play the next video game and enjoy entertainment. That's what our culture is consumed by today. We have these visions for ourselves. And as long as we have that vision for ourselves, we will not obey God like Paul did. All of these things can cause us to be unwilling to listen to God or hesitate to obey him when he calls us. Let me tell you, let, let me let you in on a truth, younger guys, okay? In India, I couldn't play video games. Oh, so horrible, okay? So we didn't have, we didn't have electricity consistently enough to play video games. I, my internet was a SIM card in a phone, okay? So you ain't playing video games where I was in India, okay? Sometimes you have to give up your vision, your dream, for a greater vision, a greater dream that God has for our lives. And what God's plan for your life is, is so much more amazing than anything you could ever come out, up with for yourself. Paul was so in tuned with the Spirit that he was sure this was God's leading. And the need that the Macedonians had was to hear the gospel. Notice what is it that the Macedonian man asks him. He says, come over into Macedonia and help us. And help us. But what help do they need? They need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. That they are sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That because of their sin they stand condemned. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The paycheck for sin, the just deserts for sin, is death. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. They need to hear that message, but they also need to hear the good news. That Jesus Christ came, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life because he was God, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again for our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 gives us the gospel there. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But why did he do that? For our iniquities, for our sins. And that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not of the things that you do. Not, not, <clears throat> for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That salvation is by grace, a free gift through faith, placing our trust in Jesus Christ, and only by grace through faith, not the good things that you do. I think of a song in our hymn book. Uh, we have a book, a song called Lamb of Glory by Nelson. He also wrote another song that, that's out there called People Need the Lord. And, and when you think of that, that song, the greatest need that anybody has is the Lord Jesus Christ to be their savior. Our neighbors right beside us, they need the Lord. And while they may not say it with their lips, they are crying, come over and help us. Literally, your neighbors are crying, come over, okay? No, in their heart. The kids at school, they need the Lord. And while they may even fight against it and argue against it, they are revealing their cry, saying, someone come over and help us. 
the billions overseas who don't have the gospel, who haven't heard it, they are crying, come over and help us. The drug addicts on the street, they think that they need those drugs, but their addiction is actually a cry for something greater, for someone to come over and help us. People who get into drugs are looking for something more in life, and and their addiction is just a cry, come over and help us. And that was the need that these people had. That was the call that, that Paul received. And when, God, when he heard that call, he obeyed immediately. He didn't hesitate. He didn't put it off. He didn't get distracted by his own vision of what he wanted to do and the things that he wanted in life. The greatest need this world has is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The girls have been watching as part of, in addition to their devotions, a series of cartoons called The Torchlighters. How many of you guys have ever heard of those? Torchlighters? Okay. Torchlighters series tells stories of great Christians throughout the past. And one of the stories they recently listened to was the story of St. Patrick. St. Patrick was actually a very early Christian before Catholicism had had a chance to cement itself in Christianity. Patrick, Patrick was born in the northeast parts of England among the Britons to a Christian, to a Christian family. His parents were Christians. As a child, though, he did not accept their faith. He rejected it. And at 16, he was kidnapped by Irish raiders. Okay, Jim, your ancestors? No, okay. So the Irish raiders came in and kidnapped Patrick. Took him as a slave to the, to the Irish Isles, and he became a slave to the village chief who was a pagan druid. Okay? But while a captive, God set free Patrick's heart. Patrick came to place his faith in Jesus Christ and was set free from the spiritual bondage that he was in. And he lived there amongst the the Irish people, learned their culture, learned their language, learned what made them And when he finally escaped in his his early 20s, he returned home, studied theology, and, and then became the pastor of a church for 20 years. At the age of 48, though, which in his time as good as dead at 48. Life expectancy was not very long, so I would have only a few years left of my life, and some of you wouldn't be here today back then. But at 48, Patrick had a similar experience, a similar experience to this Macedonian call in which he had a vision of an Irish man saying, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. And Patrick was willing to return to that place that had caused him so much pain, the place that, that had abused him and tortured him for so many years. And when God called him, he obeyed immediately. He didn't hesitate to obey. James 1 verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Let's go and have a time of invitation today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. This story gives us a glimpse into the way in which God directs our lives. There isn't always going to be a vision in the sky or a sign that this is God's will. Sometimes God directs our lives just by closing and opening opportunities for us. Sometimes he does make it clear by giving us some sort of a sign. But either way, if we're going to determine God's will for our lives, we should be walking with the Spirit that when he directs us, we obey. We do what he wants. If we want direction, we need to be walking in the Spirit. Ask yourself today this question. 
What is it that God might be trying to direct you to do for him? And then ask, are you listening? Are you obeying? What is it that might be keeping you from obeying immediately? Whatever it is that God is asking you to do. Now, if you're saying, Pastor Jason, there's something in my life right now that I love more than God that is keeping me from wanting to obey him, is keeping me from being willing to do his will, I'd like to ask that you would raise your hand and I'll pray for you this morning. If that's you, there's something in my life that I'm not willing to give up in order to obey God. I'm not willing to listen to what he is, he is trying to direct me in and it's keeping me from that. Any hands? If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the most important need that anybody has on this earth. And I want to give you an opportunity. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you raise your hand this morning as well? down okay in the moment we're going to have an opportunity for you to deal with god whether it's about disobedience whether it's about walking in the spirits and being able to be guided by god or if your need is to to know jesus christ as your personal lord and savior as the piano plays today is the time to decide that you're going to be done with those things that you're going to deal with this thing and i ask that you would come forward talk to the lord here at the altar if you need to be saved come talk to me as the piano plays. Let's all stand, head bows, eyes closed. As the piano plays, we'll have our time of invitation.